This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Worth a try, and he's always prepared to give it a go. On the ball on BFM 89.9. Hello, it's On the Ball with myself, Cam Ruslan, and we have uh, three excellent pundits today, one of whom is very excellent. And uh, first of all, let's introduce Bob Holmes. Hi, everybody. I don't know whether I'm excellent, very excellent or what, but uh, I'd be interested to find out. Oh, you're just excellent. I just, I just want to let you off the hook now. Yeah. Good to be here. <laughs> yeah. And Des Corkill? Passionate is always my word, and there's a lot to be passionate about at the moment. Uh, being from the School of Football, Liverpool, I'm very, very happy, but there's a lot else to talk about. Yeah, there certainly is. Now, uh, Bob and myself, we hung up our playing boots a long time ago, uh, but Des, he still plays at the highest level. But uh, our third pundit plays at an even higher level. He is uh, ex-Tottenham Hotspur, Swansea City, and uh, Melbourne Victory. But he is now the centre-back at uh, Kuala Lumpur City. He is Giancarlo Galifucho. Hello, everybody. Thank you for that awesome introduction. I'm glad you didn't say I was excellent, excellent either. So <laughs> I was, you know, I'm just, I'm going to learn. I'm going to be behind everyone. But uh, thank you. Thank you. Very excited to be here. Oh, it's great to have you here. Uh, and so uh, we're going to start off with, well, this week is going to be Premier League, really, and some, uh, obviously, some Malaysian football as well. Uh, with Giancarlo here, but it's also hotting up in Malaysia, quite literally. And uh, let's begin with the the battle for the fourth stroke third spot. I think the third spot is now done. But uh, last night we had Tottenham 3, Arsenal 0. Uh, Bob, uh, the... I, don't, I could never tell what's going to happen when these two teams turn up, but Tottenham were, were, were very special, and Arsenal were very not special. Kane, Son, fantastic. Yeah, um, but uh, I think you'll have to agree that the sending off had an effect on the game. Um, Arsenal did a lead, basically, didn't they? Um, going down to 10 men quite early in the piece, and they were already a goal down when... Um, Rob Holding, Holding got sent off. So that's a massive disadvantage. But they let it show, and Mikel Arteta did as well. It's it's bad, but it's not the end of the world. You're playing your main rival, your local derby in a magnificent stadium, and you've got to fight. And the body language of the Arsenal players they, and the manager, it, they pretty well look beaten to me and it was just a matter of how many spurs would score now but having said all that the fourth place and the champions league place is still arsenal's to be had if they win their two games they get it although the momentum and when you read the papers and talk to anyone it seems as if spurs are gonna get it i mean they certainly have the momentum but look at the points. Arsenal, they've only got to play Newcastle away and Everton at home. Now, really, they should win both of those games. So it doesn't matter what Spurs do. Spurs have got an even easier program. They've got Burnley at home and Norwich away. So you'd say they're nailed on for six points. But if Arsenal get their six points, they're at They've got the place because they've got one more, one more point. 
And I don't think that this um, situation with Rob Holding justified the surrender that Arsenal seemed to um, to make in that game. I mean, Spurs were vastly superior, but Arsenal let them let them uh, take over the game. Yeah, well, I, I'd like to pursue that point actually with you, Giancarlo, because uh, you're an actual footballer and you play kind of in Holding's position. And uh, I know you're an ex-Spurs man, so you'd probably like to sing their praises too. But, <laughs> you know, for, as, as a professional footballer, are there times when a, a defender just sort of loses the plot and just can think of nothing else than to just foul the player? Yeah, I, I think I, I completely agree with Bob in the sense that I, uh, I think Arsenal showed uh, maybe the age of the team or the mentality of the change room, but they seem to completely crumble. And, well, you know, all credit to Tottenham, obviously they put the foot on the neck and then Kane and Son were amazing. But I just feel like you make that mistake, the red card happens, and I even understand the mistake. Like the foul comes from the fact that you're you're feeling desperate, you're losing him and you you, you hold the guy. I I, I I understand that, but I just feel like as much maybe defenders union, I'm trying to defend him, you know, but <laughs> I, feel, I feel like it can't be that you completely capitulate when that happens, especially when there is still so much at stake. And then on top of that, it's a derby. Go down swinging, you know, it, whether it's a red card or you're 1-0, this is the rival. North London derby is massive. You don't want to show anything, but I feel like as soon as the red card happened, it was like, oh, we've lost. Okay, oh, oh, they've scored. Oh, they're gonna score again. And it just seemed they just seemed broken. They just seemed spursy, I think is the, uh, <laughs> is the, the correct term. Uh, let, hey, Des, let's go, uh, unless you want to add anything, let's go from one extreme to the other. Well, not necessarily extreme. Uh, meanwhile, top spot. Wolves one, Man City five, with De Bruyne uh, being kind of quite good at football. And uh, I don't know, what, what can you say? Well, I, I, can I briefly mention the atmosphere at the Tottenham Stadium? First time there's been a full house there, and that can be a very intimidating thing. What a venue that stadium is now, and now it's a full house. Incredible. But moving on to Manchester City, they have got this incredible ability to score goals early, to kill games off early. They were 3-1 up inside 30 minutes. De Bruyne's hat-trick is just oh, astonishingly good. But these are against a, a strong Wolf side who don't give chances away easily. And yet Manchester City routinely get early goals inside the first 10 minutes, even though they were pegged back here uh, to one each. There was a kind of inevitability that this wave upon wave upon wave of attacks that they produce will score goals. They, they, they've scored 14 goals in the last three pressure Premiership, um, Premier League matches that they've played. Their ability to, to, to strike and score and without a centre forward. Let's always remember that one, Bob. Still, and they've got Haaland to add. My word, that, that ability is phenomenal. But De Bruyne's four goals. Sometimes you've just got to stand up and say, "Well, class, I don't know yeah. how you stop it." Gigi, how would you try and stop uh, Kevin Bruyne? <laughs> I want to ask that question too. I want to ask that question too, Giancarlo. As a as a defender, I mean, you know, City are famously play without strikers, but that must give that must give a different problem for a defender. 
Yeah, well, <clears throat> I was going to say pray, um, but <laughs> Des is, you're completely right. This, this, he was phenomenal. And I, I think often, you know, like we all do when we watch football, you think, oh, if you just stood there, if you just shifted there, you know, if you moved there. But I, I often say, especially when I feel as though a team is so much better or just in incredible form, I try to simplify with the back six, uh, mainly the back four and defensive midfielder, the two defensive defensive midfielders, sorry, to try to almost go man for man as soon as they're in the attacking third so that the responsibilities are simpler. Because I believe that a lot of the space that occurs is when someone's transitioning from one player to another player's responsibility. So as an attacker starts to drop in or rotate, there starts to become this issue where as you're shifting and you're trying to keep in space, that's where they they get dangerous. So sometimes I, I like to, when I'm uh, verbalizing and, and trying to put everybody in their spot, when the danger occurs, if everybody just stays close to their one man, no matter where he goes in that dangerous uh, area, we can try to slow that down. But when you're having the game like he's having, I don't think there's anything anybody could do. You see, I thought the defender's job then would be to kick them early to let them know they're playing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Holding did that, and he got sent off. Oh, yeah. <laughs> We're going to be a bit more subtle these days, but I mean, there must be a way. They've got to train that, haven't they? Hey, uh, sorry, Bob, we're going we're gonna to take a break here and we'll come back in a moment and we'll look at uh, the other team fighting for the top, top spot, uh, Liverpool, but uh, here on On The Ball, BFM 89.9. Deserves a goal, that lovely return pass just wide. On The Ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back on On The Ball and we're continuing looking at the clash for the top spot in the Premier League. Hey, uh, Bob. Aston Villa won Liverpool 2. Not a fantastic display from Liverpool that they did the job. And uh, Des is telling me that this might be one of the... This might be the last season with Mane, Salah, Firmino up front. But um, they're going to be satisfied with second spot, aren't they? Uh, Well, it looks like it. But if I may, I've got a little story about Kevin De Bruyne and, and why his left foot isn't just for standing on. I read a story that when he was a kid, he used to play in the back garden and he was really right footed and he used to kick the ball over the, uh, into the neighbors and they complained the plants and everything were getting damaged, but they were quite friendly. And Kevin De Bruyne's dad realized that his left foot needed improvement. So they came to a compromise and they said, OK, let him carry on playing in the garden if he only uses his left foot and he improved his left foot from that moment on. So you saw the manifestation of it the other night. Only Bob Holmes, only Bob Holmes. <laughs> Anyhow, back to Liverpool. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a workmanlike display. Nothing, nothing really to shout about. It was a kind of got the job done, hanging in there. Um, it doesn't look good. Uh, for the quad, of course, anymore. But the the thing is, what Liverpool have got to be very careful of is only ending up with the Carabao Cup. Now, I should be whispering that very softly and out of Scouse ears, but um, (laughs) it is a possibility. 
Chelsea are awkward customers at the best of times, and they'll be up for this FA Cup final. And Liverpool didn't show anything other than an ability to get the job done, really, against uh, Aston Villa. You know, as I said, it was a workmanlike performance, and they haven't really hit the heights now for a few games, to be honest. Um, we were thinking that they could do it because of the depth of their squad and the rotation seemed to be working like clockwork. But lately, they've lost a bit of zip, a bit of edge, and it's a bit hard to put your finger on it. I mean, Mo Salah is not really delivering. He's in danger of being caught for the golden boot even by Kevin De Bruyne and, and Son. Um, so you've got, but you would hope for a Liverpool fan that the FA Cup final, big occasion on Saturday, Chelsea opponents, Liverpool never liked Chelsea, that they will rise to the occasion. But there were no signs in the Aston Villa game of that happening. So it's a little bit worrying. I know one or two Liverpool fans are a bit nervous about this. And I think they've got to, they've got to be very careful. But I, I personally think they'll end up with the treble. I, I do. Right. But right. It, it's... You know, it's making certain fans nervous. Yeah. So, Des, uh, Bob pretty painting a picture that Liverpool is the worst football team ever. That's a bit of an exaggeration, <laughs> no, not, not quite sure. Uh, do you agree with Bob's assessment there? Absolutely not. It's arguably the best Liverpool team that we've ever had the privilege to see. Um, you're just up against a billion-dollar corporation, Manchester City, who are incredible. Uh, even if Liverpool end up with one, the talk uh, around, around Merseyside is that it's still a season to be massively, massively proud of. Making, the, uh, making every game, making every cup final. Um, you just hope that they don't stumble. I'm just concerned that the African Cup of Nations is beginning to take its toll on the likes of Mohamed Salah. It's just that 1% short that he is. Mm-hmm. No doubt he'll come up and he'll, he'll score a hat-trick or something in the, in the cup final and make a mug of me. But, and and uh, Mane, brilliantly though he's playing, what a great header it was. You, that, that African Cup of Nations and the emotion, also the World Cup qualifier between Senegal and Egypt, that will catch up with you emotionally. Plus, every game is a cup final. Liverpool are winning these games. They, they, they drew with Manchester City, but the, 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 the draw with Tottenham, but they beat Manchester United 4-0. They beat Everton 2-0. Every game has been, really, you've got to be at, at the very top, and it's got to take a toll sometime. I just hope that they can, that can last the last four games and then take a rest they fully deserve. But I tell you what, no, no Liverpool fan, even if they only end up with the Carabao Cup, is going to be, is going to be devastated with this season. It's been fantastic. Des, do you, do you think at all that the, uh, the contracts have, weighed a little bit in the change room mentally on some of those plays? I, I don't think so. I think Mane is very happy. Um, at, at, at the, the, Salah, the Salah one's an interesting one. Um, yeah, I, I, I kind of put it to the, to the back of my mind because I keep hearing that Klopp's happy, Klopp signed, and if Klopp signed, I'm, I'm fine with whoever he brings in. It's more about Klopp than it is about the players because you've seen what he's done with Diaz, seen what he's done with Jota, seen what he's done with Firmino. I don't want to lose Mane and, 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 and Salah, but um, I've got every faith that Jurgen Klopp and his backroom team, uh, uh, if he does go, are able to replace him, like for like or even better. Yeah. Hey, Giancarlo, can I ask you, um, as a defender, which, which team would you be more afraid to play against, Liverpool or Man City? And... Is uh, Virgil van Dijk a poster boy for you? Yes. Yes, I do 
like him, but I'm a bit biased. Sorry, Des, because I think Koulibaly is the best defender in the world. But that's because my family's from Napoli, so it's kind of obviously. If I said anything else, my phone would start ringing with my dad's face, and I would <laughs> get told off. So, but he's he's incredible. He's somebody I, I, I've watched a lot even before he got to Liverpool. Um, but for me, it's because, uh, like most defenders, we envy defenders that can also have offensive prowess. And I think Van Dijk has that in abundance. He has composure. He's a great leader. But then he's also got plenty of goals. He used to score free kicks. And I used to think this is my dream. Um, but uh, if I was talking about which team I would fear more, to me, uh, Man City is more confusing to me. Um, in a back line, I find their movements so odd and so abstract. Whereas uh, Liverpool, they seem to, every time they attack, they attack with so many numbers and it's frightening. Both fullbacks are up, their attackers are up, their midfield runs come th- straight through the center and you've got so many bodies around. But Man City for me co- literally confuses me. So that that one I would feel... I wouldn't know what to do with myself. Hmm. How would you fancy playing Haaland, uh, Gigi? <laughs> I would. I would love the challenge. Man, he would scare the bejeebus out of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's he's only ten. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, with Haaland, you know where he's going to be. You know he's going to be a centre-forward. And that, I think, might take something away from City. Everyone talks City don't have a centre-forward. They've got six centre-forwards because no matter how confusing it is, somebody always ends up at the back post or somebody always ends up six yards exactly. out. But then he'd just be a distraction, uh, uh, you know, uh, which is a good distraction. So people would gravitate toward him, but then the action's happening around him. Uh, I'm guessing. Well, what do I know? <laughs> so, Des, a, a, question, a question for you two guys. Um, on cam as well, if you like. Do you think City will score more goals next season with Haaland or less? Well, exactly what Gigi said. Uh, they'll be more predictable. So I would argue less. And mm. I, completely, I completely, Des, I, I've been saying this ever since the transfer happened, but I actually think that their main deadly weapon is how confusing that they are in the attackive third. And I think now Des said it exactly right it will become predictable. And like I was trying not to take anything away from Liverpool because they're so deadly, but that's kind of what I was trying to imply. They come with so many numbers, but you 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 understand the MO. You understand what they're going to do. Man City right now is so confusing. They, their movement is so, and so fluid and so abstract for football. And now all of a sudden, you're going to have a striker who wants to stand in the middle. He wants the crosses to him. He wants the balls to him. So I think that, I personally think it's – I personally don't think it, it was a smart move. Good news for Liverpool then. Yeah, I'm a football purist. So for me, goals are overrated. And uh, <laughs> the perfect scoreline is, is nil-nil. Speaking of which, uh, <clears throat> let's have a quick talk. Um, Des, I'm going to ask you, uh, Watford nil, Everton nil. Everton get a point, very important. And they're, they're looking safer and safer now. Uh, will they survive and will they therefore do what I think would be the worst choice would be to keep Frank Lampard as manager? Uh, looks like they will survive. Uh, they would have bitten your hands off. Everton fans would have bitten your hands off for four points from away games at Leicester and Watford. 
particularly with Leeds now uh, ending the season so so poorly and not able to keep te- um, eleven men on the pitch. Um, so yeah, Everton to survive. It's it's a scare for them. Um, Frank Lampard has become something something of a cult figure. I, I Goodison. Um, the the fans seem to like him. And uh, what Moshiri seems to do is, is follow what the fans do. Whether or not he's, he's good enough to build Everton up, we'll, we'll wait and see. I think he's like Arteta, you know. We won't know until he's given a couple of years and opportunities with a, a, a club to build them. Um, but Everton to stay safe, Lampard to, to stay and not be threatening for the title. So as a Red, I'm very happy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Football fans are so magnanimous. Uh, Bob, let's go up to you. Uh, Leeds, nil. Chelsea three. Uh, let's talk kind of more. I don't know Leeds or Chelsea. The, the stories are on both sides. Leeds are looking like they're in real trouble here, and Chelsea. Well, the story is off the pitch, really. Yeah, the takeover uh, looks like it's going ahead. Um, so still got a couple of stumbling blocks, um, and these things, you know, they they are famous for. Um, producing last-minute twists. So I wouldn't be celebrating too early if I were Chelsea. But um, it is so far so good as far as that is concerned, um, which is important uh, for the players regarding contracts. There's been this uncertainty. And Christiansen and uh, Rudiger have already committed to leaving, going to Spain. Um, Barcelona and uh, Real Madrid, respectively. Now, they were pretty keen on those moves anyway. But had the situation at Chelsea been more stable, had had Russia not invaded Ukraine, <laughs> for example, um, Chelsea would have made a counter offer to both of them. And it's possible that they could have been swayed by that. And also uh, Cesar Azpilicueta, Um, He looks like he could be on the move as well. He's the club captain. And I think he had been more likely to stay, would have been more likely to stay um, if things had been stable. So Chelsea are looking at losing three defenders uh, simply because of this uncertainty. So although the club is not going to go under, it's in nobody's interest for Chelsea to go under, the there is the, they have paid a price in terms of uncertainty and they've not been able to line up players for the um, summer transfer window. I mean, now we're into May. The window opens in a, a few weeks' time and a lot of the groundwork is, is done around this time and not earlier. And they've not been able to commit. I mean, no one is going to sign for Chelsea until this is all sorted out. So this is costing them. And it could have an effect on next season. It could mean that Chelsea go through the motions rather next season than instead of making a full tilt at the title. So it has been serious in that regard. As far as Leeds are concerned, yes, they everybody's favourites to go down now. Although, uh, if they can, uh, they haven't got a particularly tough game, I think, coming up. Um, one game anyway, very winnable. Brighton and Brentford. Uh, Bright, well, yeah, Bright, Brighton and Brentford. Both, both are winnable games. If they were to win those two games and Burnley or Everton were to slip up, they'd still have a mathematical chance. Yeah. But it's odds, it's odds against. Yeah. Hey, Giancarlo, so uh, according to Bob, um, Chelsea might be looking for three defenders next season, so perhaps you want to get your agent... <laughs> 
Uh, <laughs> I might have to make some calls. Um, yeah, make some calls. But but I'm, 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 John, have you ever been in a in a relegation fight? Yes, I I have. What what's that like as as a player in the dressing room? It's incredibly stressful. And I was um I was going to add to the fact that um, with the lead situation, it's the the timing of, of the pounding that they just got. You know, so that's so bad for the morale in that change room. That you lose three nil, you concede a red. You know, it, it, now that's the worst time in this fight to have that happen in the change room. You guys all turn up the day after. You're depleted. The, the conversation is, are we going to drop? And once that spreads, it's toxic. And, yeah. I, you know, I, I fortunately, um, the relegation battle that I went through, uh, the, the, good, the run of good form started to happen eight, nine games before the end of the season. So before it started to get to the real danger zone, we had drawn a couple games and the change room mentality was starting to grow. But if something had happened two, three games before the end that you get you lose by three there's a send-off and you you have that break the mood in the change room that's a really really hard thing to bounce back from so i don't know about leads i'm i'm i I feel terrible but i don't know if they can do it a club with a proud australian tradition as well exactly yeah (laughs) well uh in a moment we're going to come back and talk uh fa cup preview but uh, I just want to reaffirm, this is the kind of punditry and insight you get only on on the ball. BFM 89.9. What about that clearance off the line? How important did that turn out to be in the end? On the ball on BFM 89.9. And we're back on On the Ball with myself, Cam Rustlan, Giancarlo Galafuco, and Bob Holmes and Des Corkill. And now we have FA Cup final preview. It's going to be Liverpool versus Chelsea. Um, that's a quite a mouth-watering possibility. I um, I don't know. Liverpool? I don't know. Bob, help me out. Who's going to win this? Liverpool, I think. Liverpool. Um, I mean, they are uh, much the better side. Um, as I said earlier, they, they haven't been at their best uh, lately. Um, I think that the season... Uh, the demands are taking their toll. They're going to end up playing about 60 games. Um, you, they're human beings. You can't be 100% uh, brilliant all the time, but they can lift themselves for the big occasion. This is a big occasion, and I think they'll be up for it very much so. They beat Chelsea in the League Cup final, um, admittedly only on penalties, and the 21st one at that. Um, so it was a rather narrow win, but it was a win. And uh, Chelsea uh, were in the final last year, of course, and lost to Leicester. So they'll be, um, they won't want to lose two in a row. So I think this could be quite a tasty FA Cup final. The clubs don't like each other. The fans don't like each other. Culturally, they're miles apart. They have a history. Um, it's set up brilliantly. Um, it really is. I mean, Chelsea have secured uh, third spot. There was never really much danger of that. They're in the Champions League. This is all that they have left to play for. And Liverpool, of course, has still got everything to play for, hoping that City slip up. But uh, this is an important um, 
part of the uh, quad or the treble, if there's going to be a treble, and they won't want to muck up. And they, they won't want to go into the Champions League final having lost the FA Cup final. No way. No way. So I think, I think Liverpool will, um, will show that their superiority because they are a much better side. City and Liverpool are head and shoulders above anybody else. Uh, Des, uh, the Champions League is probably a more important match. Is this the FA Cup's going to get a, the full um, lineup? At this weekend, yes, of course it will. Um, being of a certain age, the FA Cup used, used to be the be all and end all. This used to be the weekend that you looked forward to. Um, I wasn't old. I was born, but I wasn't old enough to remember when Liverpool first won it in 65. But I was very conscious when we lost to Arsenal in 71. That was probably when I became became a fan. And I was very much part of it when Liverpool beat Newcastle in 74. And so the FA Cup really, really was very important. It was the, the, the red letter day. It always ended the season. And now it's not. Now there's league games and Champions League games to go. So it's slightly lost a bit of its luster. But Liverpool haven't won it for, well, they, they lost to Chelsea 10 years ago. They haven't won it since the Gerrard final of 2006. It was the Owen final of 2001. Um, I hope they win it because I think Jurgen Klopp's management and the way he's um, rotated his side to, to play all of these games deserves more than one trophy. And I hope, um, I hope we're able to see a past Chelsea again. But Bob said um, Liverpool do have other things on their mind, whereas for Chelsea, this is the be-all and end-all, which can either be a good thing or a bad thing. Liverpool ought to win it. Um, I, I'm just worried, as I said, that 60-plus games, it's Liverpool's 61st of the season, can catch up, as well as African Cup of Nations, as well as all those World Cup qualifiers for Salah and, and Mane. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just really worried the fatigue kicks in because... Um, it's relentless, modern football. It's great as a fan. Broadcaster, <laughs> sensational. But as a player, it must be, God, what day is it today? Oh, it's another big game. Yeah. <laughs> no, but Giancarlo, you, uh, you won Malaysia Cup last year. And yes. you, that must be fun. But uh, is it, what's it like to win a cup? But also, is it possible to think in terms of, okay, we're going to prioritize a cup as opposed to the league? I mean, does it work like that? Uh, well, also, I wanted to just on what Des, on what you were saying, um, i very good friends with Brad Smith and he used to talk about Jurgen Klopp when he was there and he would say to me all the time that one of the most incredible attributes that he has is the ability to get everybody up for a game. You know, he said, he compared him to, he said, I've never had a coach that makes the whole change room feel like he's your father and you you want to make him proud, you know? So... As much as I think you're right, they've played an insane amount of games. I think if there's anyone who can make, step them up for this challenge, push past the fatigue, I think it's him. So I I actually, I'm backing you guys to, to do it. Um, and then in respect to uh, the Malaysia Cup final and everything, it, it's our coach has a very, very smart um, way of, he has a very ephemeral way of thinking it's always really short keep it keep the cycle really small you know so it's day by day small game by small game make everything feel like a final so you don't start thinking two three games ahead or oh we have to also challenge this and we have to also challenge that so with the malaysia cup he made it from the group stage onwards he was really really good at making us think day by day never get too far ahead never think too far forward and I think that's the best way to approach it. And you, 
fortunately, it worked out, and then I was going home a champion. Yeah. Des and Bob, any, any of us had any kind of sporting equivalent, anything vaguely <laughs> like that? I just remember how loudly I cheered when uh, Gigi scored the, the penalty in the semi-final against, um, uh, against Malacca. I've got to tell you, Gigi, I was not confident as you stepped up. <laughs> now he says. You should have shouted it from the sidelines. I there. did. Not Gigi. <laughs> no, anyone but him. Uh, uh. Okay, let's move back to um, Premier League. Let's look forward to some of the matches that are coming up. And uh, let's look at, uh, well, we mentioned uh, Leeds' chances earlier. But, uh, uh, Bob, Newcastle, Arsenal. We talked about Arsenal before, but let's let's talk a little bit Newcastle. This is a a fascinating season for Newcastle, and they're going to be moving on. What do you project as being, what's Newcastle going to be able to evolve into? Well, they hope to evolve into a Man City, don't they? But is it like next season or? Uh, no, I mean, uh, even the Geordies won't, um, won't be <laughs> that optimistic. Uh, but they would, they would want to see some real progress um, next season. They would want to see some big names coming in, not, not necessarily a Harlan's I don't think they um, are deluded enough to think they're going to sign uh, players of that ilk immediately. Uh, it's got to be a steadier build-up. Man City did it more steadily. Remember, they they made the statement signing of Robinho on the last day of the season. They literally went out and who's available for for at least thirty million? You know, just to show they've got the money and they can do it. They didn't really know that much about him, but they got him and it made headlines, back page and front page headlines, in fact, if I remember rightly. Um, they made their statement signing and I think Newcastle need that for next season. They bought quite sensibly in the uh, January transfer window. They did enough to um, to survive and end up mid-table, lower mid-table, uh, quite, quite sensibly and they weren't ripped off too badly. Um, so they, they did well there. And I think they're going to pursue that sort of um, policy of going after players. But if they're at, they ask for a ridiculous amount, they're not going to pay it. So there will, there will be transfers that, that fall down, but there will also be those that go through because they do have to strengthen this side. It's not very good. I mean, as it is now, they'd be in a relegation battle next season. Um, they don't want a repeat of that with all the money in the world. So I can see them going out and buying your, your 50, 60 million pound players, two or three of them, which would take them into maybe Europa League territory. I think they'd be um, happy with that at the end of next season. If they could get into Europe, I think they'd say that was a success. So I think they're going to do it in stages. Can't expect to win the league um, in in one season. No yeah, way. Yeah. Well, speaking of perhaps winning the league uh, next season, Giancarlo, if I can ask you, Tottenham versus Burnley. I mentioned Spursiness earlier. Spurs won three nil against Arsenal, which means they're going to lose three nil against Burnley. <laughs> <laughs> and you were at Spurs. Did you walk around there? Sort of. Was there a sense of Spursiness about Spurs? Did you sense it in the air? Um. 
Listen, I, I can't say names. You, want, you might want to go back there one day. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't want any aggressive uh, messages. But uh, there was definitely, uh, I had come from uh, a second division Italian side when I'd got there. And um, I remember going to my first game at White Hart Lane. And I was the 19th man, so sat in the stands. And then after the game, we had lost. And I had come into the change room. And I was listening to the coach get angry and do, do, do what he has to do. And um, I spoke to one player who's no longer there who had played. And he said, uh, well, I, I still get my appearance bonus. And I, I remember having that, that moment and thinking like, oh, whoa, like football is – so. If I, when I lose from every level, even if it's me and you playing in the park, I, I get so frustrated. I'm so competitive. And I, it was the first time I had seen that, that bred in a culture before. Um, so sometimes I think that that has – had its effect on some of their change rooms. But in saying that, this is Conte. And Conte takes no BS from anyone. And I think he has reformed the change room. And I can't see them being Spursy under him. So I'm thinking that they come to this Burnley game and they have a good, good win. And just just think forward next season under Conte, who clearly you like, uh, because he's Italian. Yeah. <laughs> um, Next season, what do you think? What do you think Spurs can can do? I think they they definitely can compete, and I think with him now and their and their team and like it's not how do I how do I explain this in the best way? As long as you keep Harry Kane happy, then they're always going to be a very competitive team with a good coach. And I think that's the most important thing. We saw the whole saga with him and the contract and everything at the beginning. And then he was late to training. Was he because of a national team duty? No, it was because of this and so on and so forth. So I think if you keep him happy, he has a great hold over the change room. And they're a good working team together. And I think they're, they will be very competitive next season. But if another saga like that begins again and he's not happy, then I think that to me is the crucial thing that breaks that change room. Des, uh, we we talked about Newcastle's ambitions and Spurs just now. Did you which which are, is there a club out there that could break into the City Liverpool dominance? Assuming that their dominance will continue, uh, the Spurs are probably the the ones if they are able to keep Conte and if um, he's given the money. Because let's not forget, Conte is it, he always demands money. He always demands players to be bought for them. And and um, uh, Tottenham have a, a reputation for not kind of spending the money perhaps <laughs> that they ought to. But if that culture changes, and I tell you what, I, I mentioned earlier the, the atmosphere at the Tottenham Stadium, 65,000. Now it starts to generate income because they built it and then COVID came in. They just spent a billion dollars on this sensational stadium and they couldn't earn money from it. Now it becomes a, a revenue generator. And so I, I think things might change at Tottenham. Um, and, and, and the stadium becomes a, a very important part of their business plan to, to generate income. So that means that Conte might be persuaded to stay. He might get the players that he wants, and you've seen what he can do. He's only made a couple of changes, and already they're, they're competing. Um, they, they were terrific at Anfield. Uh, they they beaten Tom, uh, they beaten Man City 3-3-2, um, uh, and Conte can do things. He's won titles. So, yeah, I think Tottenham are in the, in the uh, mould of being able to break through. Europa League or Champions League, doesn't matter. Next year, if Conte stays and uh, Harry Kane is happy and Son stays, um, yeah, I can see Tottenham making that breakthrough. Mm. 
Okay. So in a moment, we're going to look at the uh, championship playoffs to get into the Premier League. And we're going to look at Malaysian football, the exciting world that is Malaysian football, here on On The Ball, BFM 89.9. It is a fine goal. Fine header, fine goal. On The Ball on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to the fourth half of on the ball and we are now looking at the championship playoff and the these matches or indeed the final actual playoff is famously the the most expensive or richest uh, match in football it's going to be between uh there's Luton v Huddersfield did I get that right Luton v Huddersfield then it's Sheffield United versus Forest and then the return of Huddersfield versus Luton and Forest versus Sheffield United. We have to go to our Nottingham Forest correspondent, um, the man who is feeling very scared, Bob Holmes. Okay, Sheffield United, Forest. Yeah, uh, scared is the word, um, I'm afraid. Uh, there is a bit of a sense that it could just be slipping away from Forest. Um they um, they roared up the table and they had that chance to nail a automatic uh, slot against uh, Bournemouth. And they lost a bit of form and they were unlucky. They should have had a pen and there's no VAR, blatant uh, pen and wrongful offside, hit the woodwork. All that sort of thing happened. I mean, that's football. And then they go and concede a late goal, which means they're back in the the playoffs. So then they play the last game. They end up scoring a penalty in the 92nd minute against Hull, the thought, thinking they clinch third spot by which they'd play the sixth place team. But then they go and concede in the very last minute and end up in fourth place and then playing their nemesis, Sheffield United. Uh, Forest and Sheffield United have history, and it's not very good from a Forest point of view. That uh, Forest were leading two uh, well by two goals at Bramall Lane in the previous playoff encounter, and allowed Sheffield United to come back and knock them out. And um, they've they've never they've been a bogey team. Sheffield United been a bogey team to Forest, and they certainly didn't expect to be playing them when they went 1-0 up in the 92nd minute. So there is this sense that things are kind of, you know, going a little bit awry. This can happen. You know, you have a great long run. You finish, you think you're the third best team in the league, and then come the playoffs and all sorts of these little niggles and uh, unfortunate happenings occur. And, you know, it's just a lottery. So I... I'm scared. Yes, I am scared. Um, the only thing is, the first leg is away. So if we can keep it down, uh, I take a one goal uh, deficit, bring them back to the city ground, and then I I back us to win. I mm. back us to win. And I think if we win that, we can we can do it. The Sheffield United is the game. It should have been the final. Yeah. It should have been the final. Yeah. So that that's uh, Bob Holmes there for perhaps uh, taking the opportunity for the last time to speak about Nottingham Forest on this show because <laughs> lots like... of wees in there, Bob. Lots of us and wees. No, he didn't say we very often. I thought he did quite well. He said they quite a lot. <laughs> didn't I, I was listening out for it. Not bad. 
I thought you've got some kind of machine that checks all this, no? It, you know, the, it's it's a, a buzzer that drops you into a shark tank when you... <laughs> <see. Yeah. laughs> uh, Des, um, who's going who's gonna to win this? So the playoffs, uh, notoriously, the, the third and fourth best teams tend not to win. It tends to be the team fifth and sixth. And, and Bob made a great point there. The concession of that late equaliser to cost them third place, that can be really uh, de- demoralising. Uh, because it gives them Sheffield United instead of um, a game against... What would it be? Luton. Would it have been, been Luton, wouldn't it? Mm. And Luton's far more winnable. So you just sense things like that at the end of a fantastic run. It's the first time we've heard Bob not be positive about Forrest this season. Every other time he said, hey, there's a chance, there's a hope. We're, we're, we're looking forward. Oh, he's still got hope. He's still got hope. Yeah. Well, your hope is, uh, if I can get this right, Bob, was... If we win against Sheffield United, you'll win. Yeah, yeah, that would yeah. be good. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's pretty. That, that's what pretty much it is, isn't it? <laughs> if we win, we win. Hey, uh, Giancarlo, you've been involved in a in a relegation fight. Have you ever been involved in a promotion fight? Uh, yes, but oh my God. we uh, we uh, He's done everything this lad. <laughs> uh, um, not. I was in a. I was coming. We were coming first, and then uh, in the last month of the year, we went through bad form, and then we came down to the last game whether we would make the playoffs. Um, and then we won, but the other team won by more, and we missed the playoffs by oh, goal difference. No. Yeah, so that's the closest I've been to the promotion fight. And in 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 your uh, footballing career, that must be one of the hardest. That must be one of the worst. It it was a. Uh, shattered me because we won so i thought we had gone through to the playoffs and also i had scored the winning goal oh, so yeah. i here i am thinking that my name's up in lights and i'm about to have the greatest weekend of my life and then as i'm running over to the fans they're telling me no 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 the other team won by ball and we're not through so it was it was <laughs> it was harsh but um yeah an incredible experience anyway does the tension of these games inhibit uh, a pro player yeah, you know what, Des, I, I notice a lot, uh, especially now that I'm getting older and um, even with everything last year with the Malaysian Cup, I notice how much uh, characters, uh, you see the the boys, they separate from the men, you know, and, and that's obvious, but in the ways that it happens, it's so peculiar to me, you know, you start to notice um, certain pay- players they they don't want to risk on the ball they don't want to be as creative but then it starts to happen stuff like all the niggles you were willing to ignore before they're so prevalent in your brain now that sprained ankle that you were playing and training now it's you can't stop thinking about it it's so sore it hurts you so much you know or, or we play every three days and you'd never be tired but now all of a sudden you're exhausted and you know i i it's so now that I'm older and I can see it as someone who's trying to manage the change room, I notice how much it inhibits. Hmm. Insight. Insight. Okay. Well, the insight comes in even more because we're now going to talk uh, Malaysian football. Uh, Des, over to you. I noticed, though, that Kuala Lumpur beat uh, Penang 3-2, so an opportunity for Giancarlo to boast and tell us what a great player he is. Important result that was for uh, KL because uh, there's been a couple of defeats, undeserved defeats. But uh, the story of this week was a, a remarkable game at Paroi between Negri Sembalan and Johor. So Johor have just come off that AFC Champions League. 
And um, they played it at the Paroy. It was an air full house. There's something like about 30,000 at, at Negri. So when Malaysian football gets behind a team, um, Paroy was, was pumping. It was a game that went into 10 minutes of injury time. It was nil-nil. It was tense. It was a, a really compelling game of football. Nine minutes into injury time, Negri Semblan had a one-on-one -on -one with the goalkeeper that was fired over the top. Ball goes down the other end. Forestieri, the Italian, who's um, uh, Argentine-born Italian who plays for uh, Johor, wallops one in, top corner from 30 yards. The most phenomenal goal. Place went mental. The coaches were, were, were running all over the place. It, it was an incredible performance. Very early in the season. It's, we're only five games into the season, but Johor just have this incredible innate ability to, to produce results. And uh, it's good for Malaysian football in the AFC Champions League thing, but not good for the league table because there's a danger they'll run away with it. But um, that was remarkable. Sorry to go on with that. It was, it was remarkable scenes. It was an incredible game. Incredible game. But as for KL, um, important for KL to get that win, GG, 3-2 over a struggling Penang who rested a coach again, although I think he's subsequently <laughs> been dismissed. But um, important for you because you've, you've, you've not been getting the rub of the green recently. Yeah, um, uh, I feel like, you know, my coach always jokes and he says, you know, good team, no luck, you know. And uh, sometimes I feel like the start of last year, it happened. And I remember us having that talk and then the, the pendulum sw swung and we it, all the balls ended up bouncing in our favour and all the fouls went in our way, you know. And it feels like it swung back a bit this, this start of this year. And uh, it was really important for us to, to get the three points. Uh, as you were saying, I would love to talk about how I played excellent and stuff, but I actually gave a penalty away, so I'm not going to say any of that. Um, but um, <laughs> I was very, very proud of the team. I was very proud of the team performance. Uh, you know, we definitely made it a little bit more stressful than it had to be at the end, uh, myself included, obviously. But um, I thought, uh, you know, like we were talking about before, the the the, re the reactions, you know, the the goal that Paulo does where he, he storms the ball down and chases through then sets up Rommel. You know, th this that's how you lead, you know. You show by your own example. And that was a moment where he showed everyone, no, 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 we're not going to just roll over. We're not. Gonna, we're going to fight. We're going to go for the second and we're going to go for the third. We need to make a statement. And I thought that was really, really, really good example. It was a good game. The change room mood is so good right now, of course. But like all things in football, now we have to focus on the next game. This is a really, really important for us to get another three points. So fingers crossed, another good performance. Ma, ah, and uh, and then you're going to be challenging for the title against I, JDT. I, out of your out of your mouth, my friend. I hope so. <laughs> A AFC Cup is coming up for KL soon, though. Cam um, at the at the end of June, so they're hosting a group. Um, right. involving TSM, Makassar and Tampanese of Singapore. So a little bit of AFC Cup glory, possibly. Yeah. yeah. Good. Hey, uh, Des, you've got a minute or so. If you could tell us, how, how are things going with uh, Malaysia in the SEA Games? So the SEA Games team are, are doing pretty well. They got a terrific win over Thailand on match day one by two goals to one. Uh, the introduction of a couple of foreign players, Lukman Hakim, is, is a, a well-known player. He's actually starting to, to, to lead the under-23s. He scored a couple of goals in a 3-0 win um, over uh, Laos. Sorry, 3-1 win over Laos. Asri Ghani, KL goalkeeper, is, is playing well uh, for the team. They beat Thailand. They play Singapore 
I'm actually in Singapore at the moment to do commentary for Singapore TV about that. So my my allegiances are a little bit skewed on that, but that's on Saturday. <laughs> but if Malaysia win that, they're guaranteed a place in the semi-finals. And I think there's enough players in this team uh, who've got um, Super League experience, the Mokeris, the Hadifiads up in Japan, uh, the Lukmans, the Azri Ghanis, for them to really think that they can make it to the final where they are likely to, to play Thailand again. If, if that's the case. And um, they've already beaten Thailand once. So it's looking good for Brad Maloney's team. Um, Malaysia haven't won SEA Games since 2011. And Gigi, uh, you've not seen uh, what happens if uh, Malaysia wins SEA Games gold. It, the place goes bonkers. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I, well, I hope so. And, and I thought Azrugani played excellent as well. And also Brad Maloney used to coach me when I was younger. So very, very happy for him. He's a great, great guy. So fingers crossed, I would love to see this country very, very happy. Oh, well, me too. Uh, thank you. So uh, that brings us to the end of this week's show. I could have carried on for ages, but we have to leave now. And so I'd like to thank um, Des Corkill. Always a pleasure. Good luck to the Mighty Reds in the in the Cup final. Yeah, good luck to them. I'm, I'm gonna. Yeah, I don't want Chelsea. Come on, who the hell wants Chelsea? And uh, well, Bob Holmes, good luck. Please. Keep the blood pressure under control, what, you know, or just don't watch it. Listen to it on the radio. I don't know what you have to do. <laughs> uh, well, it's pretty hard to sleep through it, isn't it? So I haven't quite decided my approach yet. Um, anyhow, um, just like to say uh, great debut, GG, and first name on the team sheet next week. <laughs> Thank you very yeah, much. Yeah. Yeah, don't promise him too much. No. <laughs> thank you very, talking. very, very much. Okay, well, yeah, and thank you, uh, Giancarlo uh, Galafuco. It, yeah, great to have you on here and have a good, uh, you know, who are you playing next? Well, first of all, thank you for having me, Des. Good luck. I hope your team does it. Bob, I'm rooting for you. So thank you very, very much. Thank you guys for having me. Good luck. And uh, we're versing Sarawak away. Oh. And um, hopefully... We're going to do what we do best. We're going to perform well. We're going to get three points, and I'm going to be a very happy man. And you're not going to give away any penalties. <laughs> I can't promise that, but I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of could. You should. You should be able to promise that. Anyway, well, thank you very much, and please join us for the Monday show. But for now, it's On the Ball, BFM 89.9. He cut up with the tide from without an outstanding goalkeeper, and he's been absolutely brilliant. On the Ball on BFM. 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.